0: tonight's guest is bo ryan the author of this amazing book the brilliance in the building effective change in urban schools with the plc at work process bo is the principal of anna grace academy of arts magnet school in bloomfield connecticut he is passionate about building and sustaining professional learning communities and he has led two different schools to model plc international status bo started his career at john c clark elementary school in hartford connecticut where he was recognized as the city's teacher of the year during his time there bo created various before and after school programs for hundreds of students bo is like the mr assist man in basketball if you see any of his social media posts he is always giving props and kudos to other authors, other educators. So we're gonna do that for Bo tonight. So without further ado, let's welcome to a conversation with Brian, Bo Ryan. Bo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mr. Butler.
1: Great to be here, I'm excited.
0: You know, I've um, this has been a long time coming, and I really uh, appreciate you taking some time tonight to uh, to share your story. Um, at the beginning of each one of my podcasts, Bo, I asked my, my guests to share a little bit about their personal j- journey, their professional story, as much as they'd like. And so let my audience know who you are. So who is Bo Ryan?
1: Well, this is great to talk about, because my personal story really leads to my professional story. So I was, I think you, you were an athlete and a great athlete. So you could understand a little bit. my my (laughs) I don't know about great, but I I was an athlete at one point. (laughs) Yeah. So my dad was a, grew up with, he was a coach and he was a long time coach in college and he was a grad assistant. So he bounced around. So we lived, uh, imagine being a a grad assistant with four kids. So we lived in some areas that that were uh, a lot of fun to live in with a lot of people. So we lived in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is the biggest city. We moved to Springfield, uh, Connecticut, and he bounced around from coaching position. And then as the – that so we, I, I think my brother and sister were older. I think they went to 15 different schools wow. during their time because of, you know, following the coaching profession. Sure. Then he was coaching Division two. His head coach ends up getting a job, uh, and he kind of ran the program. And then they said, you know, we're going to take someone else. So he had no job. So we ended up moving to Meriden, Connecticut, which is a little city – outside of the biggest city in Connecticut, Hartford, sure. um, and it, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. If, we did, if that didn't happen, and if I didn't grow up and do the things I did, I would not be able to be where I am today. Um, I learned so much. First of all, I was an in any city neighborhood. We're the only white family in the neighborhood. Every Everything was three and four family homes, and right. uh, I got into a, a lot of it. There was a lot of stuff going on, and I was involved, and Absolutely everything because my dad ended up getting a job and he was not gonna lose that job. So we never saw him. He plugged and he worked and he sure. you know coached, he coached high school football. But high school coaching is is interesting because you coach the football and that's a small piece. You do the laundry, you collect everything. The, uh, yes. Gra- grades, you make sure that the, the, the rooms are clean because some schools don't have custodians doing the late night work. He sure. did the wash, so he'd come home every night at eight <laughs> wow. o'clock, nine o'clock.
0: Yeah, so um, I left a lot of time for you to kind of stray. Yeah, yeah,
1: awesome. So, so then I go to middle school, and uh, my mother had to help me out. So my mom, I, I was getting in a lot of trouble in the neighborhood. There was a lot of things you could do. Um, I was involved in sports, but it was really uh, I, I was out, involved in the neighborhood and things you could that were available to us in right. fifth and sixth grade. She, uh, who just passed January sixth changed my life she mr butler said listen uh she actually a a side story my principal of the middle school called me when she died and said listen your mother saved you basically talked about saving my life so in middle school sixth grade seventh grade i was getting suspended a lot there was kids in my neighborhood getting suspended a lot um and we were in a lot of trouble and we were doing things in the neighborhood you probably shouldn't be doing at that age and it was to the point where my mother changed her work hours, so she was working during the day, and then she changed it to the evening. So if you do that in a city, just tell you an emergency room, that's a whole different job. So yeah. if you, during the day is 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 kind of nice. You do an inter, you do a, a city job working emergency room at night, is it, So she would check on me during the day, and she would come in, and she my, my principal when he, she called he called me the other day when she passed her last month, and he said. He remembers that story of her calling him and said, his name was Dr. Ferry. So she said, Dr. Ferry, I'm changing my work hours. And she had a bunch of swears in there that we're going to change. The, we're going to work together with this kid. So it started to change. I, I, I was okay. And then um, she finally said, uh, she put me through a scared straight program. So I know you're young, so I got a grandson. I'm older than you, Mr. Butler. I'm an old man, but they
0: I don't think you're older than me. <laughs> I, th- I think we're we're probably close to the same age.
1: So they had the scared straight program. So Remember. she yeah. created her own with policemen and yeah, and because all those folks work in the emergency room. Sure. She's that type of leader. She said you got to help this kid. The kids he's hanging out with is they're, they're just and he's doing things that are not that are legal. Like and and so she had that go through. And of course, you know, change doesn't happen immediately. I went. And I found a love of, of the game of football and yeah. I knew that I had to change somewhat. I still had, a, but the other thing is not many of those kids I grew up with went into high school. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of, and I went to high school. Uh, I, I did okay. You know, played sports. I went on to college, but one of the big things is I almost got expelled at the end of my senior year for, for just uh, pranking. So I had nowhere to go. So my dad then took over and said, you got one shot. You got two. shot. you can either go to the army or you could go to this prep school in Ashburnham, Mass. Who he coached. His coaching connections are absolutely sure. amazing. Yeah. But Mr. Butler, I couldn't get into this place. I couldn't get in. He's like, I'm going to tell you. The guy's name was Wayne Sandborn. Was the starting fullback on uh, my dad's team when he was a grad assistant in Springfield. Right. Twenty something. He goes, I'm going to get him in, but I'm telling you, I can't get him in. And so you better. He's going to come down here at the end of May. He's going to work. Uh, you know, work the custod- uh lawn and maintenance and that stuff so right. i didn't graduate with my high school class my dad said if you want to wow. do this you gotta leave now and don't come back until next year and if you don't have this degree you ain't living here um so i went there spent the whole summer uh did lawn and maintenance and and figured it out and then this hit me This is true story the first day came and all these people are here and we're walking down the street i uh, and like I was there all summer, but I'm cleaning stuff. I'm painting. Now right. the kids are there and I'm walking. So it's a high school, K through 12 with postgrads. I was a postgrad. I basically stayed back my senior year. And I was out walking. I start crying and then like tears. And I'm like, dude, why do I have this opportunity? Like, wow. what about Andre? What about Daryl Brantley? What yeah. about Keith Robinson? What yeah. about Peter? What about Eric? What about Lamont? All the kids I grew up. I said, why do I have? And I said, I got to, I got to, I gotta, this is it, man.
0: got to take I, advantage I, of it, right?
1: I, I had to take advantage of it. And yeah. I, I finished number one in my class. And they said I had the highest GPA that ever and I won the friendliest student award for. Like, I just went all in and yeah. figured out that, man, you could work at this. But it also changed me a little bit because um, I figured out that, man, you could work. Like, there's, there's schools that care. Like, there's schools yeah. that say, this kid is not going to fail. One of my math teachers, I went up to him. He said, you're going to be a pre cal And I'm a jokester. I like to laugh. So I went up to him and said, listen, there's no way I could be in this class. He goes, well, you're going to get an A. And I'm like, that's awesome. He goes, no, you're going to see me every day after school. And (laughs) And this is how it works. And they had a study hall built in where you had to learn how to. And it it really, from there, I went on to college, had five college roommates. We went on. um, And then I got my first job as a graduate assistant, real job at Syracuse University um, for football. When were you in Syracuse? I was there ninety one to ninety ninety two to ninety five ish.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm older than you. I I played basketball. and We played Syracuse when I played Syracuse because Pearl, you remember Pearl, right? In basketball, unbelievable. Yeah, so Pearl and I were same same age. Oh wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so he so I go there, and the head coach, his name is Paul Pasqualoni. This brother, he was a, a elementary teacher that moved up. And when he was there, they had like the best winning percentage they ever had. But the things I learned there were I learned more from from being up there, like how to run meetings, sure. how to how to collaborate, how to work together in teams, the importance of recruiting, the importance of treating people well, the planning process and how you better be prepared and, and you got to do your job. And yeah. uh, so I was there for three years and then went on uh, to teach and te- I taught in the Hartford's North End, which is uh, one of the poorest, most areas in new england um they said we're gonna put you in one of the roughest areas i said okay let's do it um and i just started walking the streets i got up there walking the streets went watch basketball they're like who that who's that guy um and then we figured some stuff out when i got there because uh the first day i opened i was a pe teacher we had the gym uh it was kids outside now 6 45 so then i started opening the gym door which allowed everyone to come in they wouldn't have to go anywhere else in the school yeah um in the eight years i was there I opened a gym at six forty-five. School started at eight, and we would have a hundred kids every single day in that gym, uh, either playing double dutch, listening to music, yeah. um, that type of stuff. I was able to connect with all the kids, uh, but it's something that had to be done. Um, and, and I got into home visits. We got into that type of stuff. Then we we had.
0: But before go you go on, you know, one of the things I always talk about is this this idea of relationships and and helping kids understand that you're not going to give up on them and what you were doing by opening that gym one you told them that they you you cared about them but two you said i'm not giving up on you i, I need to know who you are and then we're going to go from there we're going to make yep. sure you're successful
1: yes sir and now was to, to my next story is so then they have uh you know elementary is my first real you know but i'm older than most new teachers because i had the syracuse experience i worked at a a special ed school which our kids were all um so i had some experience before i got this first job then they had like eight to ten kids who were getting suspended all the time and they were not coming to school but they had a strength and i know your new book is talking about strengths their strength Mm -hmm. was they could play basketball yeah and their strength was that they could commit to the team. And I, I went to I watched them play in the summer. I said, listen, if that kid can commit to the team, he could commit to the classroom. Yeah. Um, so I coached, I said, I'm gonna start a basketball team. Now, Harvard, we had like 50 elementary schools, so you had all these uh elementaries grade, even elementary grades four through six. Right. So we created a team, um and and we started off now, Miss Butler, the first game. <laughs> the first
0: um, game Bo, Stop calling me Mister Butler. Right. It's Brian. Brian, <laughs> although Brian. I'm older than you, I'm not that old.
1: <laughs> so, so Brian, my first game, it's nuts. So we go in, and I thought it's like a fun. You know, it's elementary school. Yeah. This guy came out. We didn't have like we're one of the poorest schools, so we didn't have like the best uniforms. He's right. calling technical foul on our uniforms, and I'm like, I thought, <laughs> and I figured out from there. This is this is we got to get kids to kind of compete, and yeah. we did, and, and we. I did that every year I was there. I think I was there eight years. And we, not only did we every year win like a large percentage of the games, that's not important to me. The suspensions went down. They were always in school. None of them actually got suspended. And And we, we, uh, of all those
0: kids. You gave them a purpose. You know, we we have to give kids a purpose and we have to find, you know, Yvette Jackson talks about this and and Goldie Muhammad talks about this. A number of our, our, you know, educators talk about this. It's like, we have to actually find who and, and, and figure out what their lived experience is, not as, you know, to lower the bar as context. You know, Ken Williams talks about this and we have to make sure that we know who they are and, and how we can connect. That idea of connections is so important. And that's what you did. It's like, okay, how do I use basketball or anything as a vehicle to get them into the classroom?
1: And then they started doing all other stuff. And it was just a way of kind of, like, it could have been anything. It could have been they were into this. Like, we had a – so after I became the teacher of the year for the city, they asked me to – they said, we want you to start teaching reading. And then I said, okay, like, how can I help? And then uh, I started doing that. We ran reading clubs after school. We had 80 kids come. We had library, real books. But once we – once they figured out, like, listen, man, I love all of you. This is how we're going to try to do it. And we did that. And they were able to – to come in and, and do some things, but we were able to really work with those kids. And, and uh, the great thing about this school was like, uh, literally it's a neighborhood school. So you have like, right there's the home, right there, right Good. there. So if you want to talk to anybody, you could just walk. And it, and you had relationships, kid act up. You know what? I never called, like I, I, I wrote zero referrals in nine years. Wow. And one of the things I just say, I, I, I just talked to the moms, like hey, go talk to the grandmas, go talk yeah. to the, to the folks is uh, very similar to neighborhood I grew up in. Um, and my mom, <laughs> well, my mom, I never could figure out. They would go out, and I would, being a knucklehead kid, would sneak out. And she would always find out, but our neighborhood had all three and four family porches, and right. people were always watching. So I never know. knew that Patty across the street <laughs> was always watching. And she told yeah. me later, yeah, she was watching you all the time. She, I thought really. she was up there, and yeah. <laughs> so this neighborhood's similar. You just walk by, hey, just wanna tell you what happened today, blah, He's doing great. All right, Mr. Ryan. And that's it, you know? So I think it's it's a couple of things. One, believing the kids, but loving the, the community. Yeah. Loving yeah. The, the neighborhood and know, lo- knowing, uh, you know, what the neighborhood's about.
0: You know, one of the things I, I uh, read in your book and in your introduction, and if you wanna, I, I want you to speak to it a little bit, because I think it really made an impact on you. Um, when you talk about, you know, you were like 10 years old or in elementary school, and some kids went to the portable. Um, and, and many of those kids who went to the portable didn't finish high school. Can you talk a little bit about that the portable and, and, and that symbol in terms of education equity or inequity? <laughs> you know, it's 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 wild that I look back, that was my
1: middle school years where I was wild. And, and in the book, um, a couple of articles I read they, in the, the office think PLC, the first one, they allow me to kind of expand a little more in the book. They kind of said, you know stick to the but but there was like a lot of you know how it is it's clowning we're just making fun of each other we're going in and then they would go into a, a majority of the kids went into the portable and then i would go and i never thought of it because i all the stuff i saw growing up like i never you never thought of it you never thought of it. i went to this kid's house and he had dad had a garbage bag full of nickel bag back then like nickel like and it was like I, now i'm like how much money was that and what if i took that then like what if i like i touched it and dad saw me like, uh, so I saw that type of stuff. And you're like, so those kids that went in there, I never thought of it until I started really growing older and writing the book and then hearing, but all those kids, none of them graduated high school. Um, none of them, and like one of them, it's interesting since my mom passed, my dad who's retired, uh, it's crazy. So we're having a, a, a like a ceremony for her. So he's been meeting with all these folks because he was a nonstop coach and all of them talked about growing up in our house and growing up, with my mom, who had sure. everybody in the house. Like you come home from college, she'd have five kids, neighborhood kids, they're eating and all that stuff. Yeah. But the kids that went into that portable, they none of them graduated high school. But to make my story about the, the my dad meeting these kids, one of the kids, his name was Peanut. He went, uh, he was with me in ninth grade. I I didn't see him 25 years later. He haven't he hasn't seen him since he was eight. So right now 30 years, and he came and said, heard about Miss Ryan but he was in and out of, you know, prisons and jails. And so it's it just really like, man, they're just housing people. And those kids, yeah. they have like Mike Baptos and, and I know you, Brian, talk about it too. If you're not on grade level and you're not getting grade level, they're not even getting, they're not even have
0: access to the school. We're not talking about access to grade level stuff. But think about the message you send to kids. You, you're already, already telling them that you're other. You, we, we have already told you you're different. And that you you you're not worthy of grade level. That's what you're you're telling us when you put some kid in a portable and that's where they stay most of the day and they don't learn grade level material. Yeah. Yeah. So that was
1: that was something that was really interesting. And then when I started uh teaching Brian and, and started going, uh my first gig was in a I was an assistant principal, and then I was five years in kind of like a suburb area. I couldn't get a job, principal job in the city. Right. So then I went back. Uh, to the city and really the thing for me was creating a culture like plc but really making sure we hire because we're creating a brand new school hire people that have two things one they care deeply about kids and they have actions and evidence that they did something to help kids and then the second one is that they're good teammates um because i tell you you the thing i've learned is man we've hired some people that have been teachers for a long time and it did not work because they yeah. were not able to collaborate with others. Now we're doing like we're doing some stuff now, man. It's it's like wow, like because we're trying to all collaborate. We're staff shortages. We're trying to figure stuff out. But if you don't have a collaboration in that focus in the system, uh, it's it it is tough to to do it nowadays.
0: Doesn't it kind of amaze you that we are supposed supposed to be the profession of learning, um, and we're all we, we should be all about kids. But some of us still want to hoard our materials and, and and work in isolation, knowing that one, hopefully I could learn from you, Bo. But two, if I'm somebody who's been working for a long time, I should have some skills, some knowledge, some experience, some expertise that I can share with others that then they could go and help a kid. But that doesn't happen at, at times. And it baffles me.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think that that's a piece I'm seeing. And I'm also seeing uh I've seen some stuff. And then last year, Brian, I get a call uh, to join Dr. Muhammad's team. Now I've read his stuff over and over, but man, he's at like a LeBron James level of intelligence. And I'm like, he, and then I started figuring it out. And then I went down there and Brian, I don't know. Don't let him watch this video. The first time I saw him, I did the overly aggressive hug. I was so fired up. It was like a a rock star. And then I think he dropped his phone, him and uh, Mr. Cruz, um, but the, the way he talks about, and it was the first time I've hear, heard his culture as far as looking at the adults and yeah. what are the adults doing? And then separating the adults, fundamentalists, tweeners, survivors, believe like, I'm like, wow, like, this is, is so brilliant because people don't look at that. They don't want to look at the adults. Yeah. You know, they don't want to look at themselves and think, see I that.
0: Think, I think what Anthony does so um, really exquisitely is that he doesn't, he doesn't, defame people. He says. these are behaviors, right? And he says that, you know, some, some adults, um, who are fundamentalists, he's not, look, he's not, who, who, you know, hold on to fundamentalist behaviors, um, and, and want to hold on to the status quo. He lays it out very, very succinctly, but he also gives ways of helping people change, right? And actually, you, you do the same thing in your book. In your book, you talk about, and, and when they talk about, you know, those skills um, that Luis and, and Anthony talk about in their book, Time for Change, those those skills that we can help um, leaders really learn to, to help move people forward. You talk about that in, in your book. You talk about the why, you know, making sure that we um, give evidence, we look at the research, and we share why we're moving it in, into this new new uh, way of doing business. We make sure that we address the how, which you do in your book, because people resist change because they don't know how to do it. You know, they they are you know they've they've taught this way for so long, and then we have so many initiatives that come along in our in our profession that a lot of times it's not their fault. We say, we're gonna do this, and we're like, ho, 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 I don't know how to do that. So there's logical resistance. And they say that's logical resistance. If we don't give people the proper time, training, support, and tools to do what we're asking them to do, then they're gonna resist. Um, And then that area of trust. I mean, are we we transparent leaders? Are we, um, I always say, am I the lead mistake maker? Am I, am I allowing teachers and staff members to feel comfortable with making mistakes and embracing this growth mindset and also dispersing leadership? I don't always have to lead from the, from the front because there are so many people who have more skills and knowledge in my building than I do. I, I say, you take the lead, I will give you that support. And so those what? three things you do and you talk about in your book and that final piece Um, When we talk about illogical resistance is when you do all those things and support all those people with the why, the how, and the who, and they still resist, then they say, okay, now we're going to have to, as positional leaders, we're going to have to say, you have to do this and we're going to monitor you until you do it without us monitoring you. Um, And I think, I think, you know, it seems very simple the way Anthony laid it out. In his first book, Transforming School Culture. But it's not easy because it takes courage from leaders to be able to, to really model what they want from staff. And that's not always the case. Yes. So, yeah, that's,
1: you know, it's interesting just uh, all the stuff you said because that's, you go through that like in schools, especially in the PLC, when you have collaborative teams, you may have new people come in and you have to, it's sure. always a nonstop. Yeah, exactly.
0: you have the teachers but also the teams yeah exactly exactly so let's take take a look at your book because awesome. i think you know when it came out and i started reading it and it's in my background and you know i you, gotta show you what book i got right here right in my oh book. there you go <laughs> <my> so, <laughs> so so we are we are book twins but you know I, I i sticky noted it because i as soon as i got it you know last year i i read it and i did a lot of sticky notes, and I I wanted to make sure that I did you justice, but, you know, (laughs) let's go through um, a little bit of the book, and then we can just really just kind of jump into different topics, but one of the things that you talk about in your book is this idea of, you know, urban, and and I I like that you define urban um, in your book because, you know, Becky DeFore used to say, um, the dearly departed Becky DeFore used to say, clarity precedes competence, and so you wanted to make sure that everybody knew what urban was in your book, and you had, you know, you know, different levels of urban, like, you know, and I think that was important. Um, But I think the first chapter, when you really, um, I think, start to talk about, you know, how you're going to make sure that you make this work for all kids, right? Um, And you say you want to make sure you create this culture of care, you know, where all educators truly care deeply about students. And you talk about this idea of you know, collaborative discussions about race and equity and mission driven um, and strengthening mindsets, all those things that are really important in this idea of culture of care. And I just want to just kind of you know jump to an aside. If anybody has not seen Bo's Twitter feed, you need to go because it's all about positivity. It's all about focusing on students. You know some of the things that you talk about in your um and i saw on your twitter uh feed Bo was this in your community or your your school sponsored you know um haircuts and braids talk a little bit about that because that that really is is powerful in terms of this idea of culture of care but you're you're expanding it to really have this 360 degree view in um, support of students and and uh, and families. Yeah.
1: So j- a couple of things. One is um, the urban piece. When I was going, like I, this was my first book, and I was so like I was going through a lot. of, They wanted more. Uh, first of all, the solution tree is amazing. Like I I wasn't a great like to able to help me write a book is amazing. And part of the the focus they wanted was. Uh, well, we got to know more about what's going on in urban schools. I said, no. I said it's tough. And I'm telling you, it's a different world. We don't need to, we need to find solutions and give it to them and help help these folks. They don't want to keep hearing all this. So that was one of the, the the biggest pieces that I had. Then the title, here's an interesting story. <laughs> so I've uh I've had guys like throughout that have been helpful. You, Bill Farretter, uh
0: Guys who just have been helpful to me, Chris. I Jenkins. talked to Ken Williams today, and he said to tell you what's up. <laughs> hey so here,
1: here's his. So Ken Williams, the next guy. So the, they gave me a title, and then I, I, I have his text. I, I, him and I text because I'll throw him questions. I get a, a text. One of those texts where you, uh, you can hear they just speak. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, he loves doing those He, he went on about and he's swearing the brilliance in the building that's the title i don't care what they say you go back <laughs> and he was and he and he's like at he talking about uh a lot of stuff but man he is because we bought his book um uh, middle yeah. school and we, we used it and then we used his uh he, it's fantastic so the culture of care for me i wanted it's interesting uh i believe in really treating all kids with great respect and love and kindness and I owe people, and we talked about earlier. And uh, this is different for me, and I don't know people that you bring in or LeBron. I'm telling you, man, I, I like. Why did I have this chance? Why did I go to prep school and have the chance to go to Ashburnham, Mass, or have a father? I was lucky; I had two parents. Nobody yeah. else in the neighborhood had two parents in the home, and yeah. I was able. But I was able to see all this stuff, um, and had that opportunity. So I believed in a culture of care, which means that part that I tried to, and I created anchor statements for all but one of the things I talked about is we are we're caring about kids but it's also what are the actions we're taking because it's easy to say oh I love junior over there I love Jalen, I love Kayla well what are you doing and how can we support that um so that was one of the things and then I started uh I've always done like an overall like how can we make this better for all kids so the braids and fades came in through years of me I think getting kids haircuts and being in the community that's where you see a lot of folks yeah. and you get to see a lot of people and you get, if you know that they're getting they're in the barbershop, you can go there. Uh, so we went to, we would just pay, you know, and I would pay for anyone guys. You come down to the barbershop and we'll, we'll pay for the first 20 haircuts. We also started signing kids up at the barbershop. So then uh, Miss Nelva, Miss Nelva is amazing. So her, she has a, the Anna Grace project. Our school is named Anna Grace Anna Grace was shot in Newtown so uh, Miss Nelva is the mom and is one of the most incredible individuals I've ever met um so really? she our school so I met her so I'm on Twitter and you know I'm just cool for her. I got my grandson we're just yeah. taking pictures anyone come on down we'll pay uh for the first 10 hair because she sees that and she has tons of followers you know I'm just I'm just some guy from Maryland. she has like all these followers right. and next thing you know, Bam, bam. She goes, What about the girls? I said, Oh, they would love to get their braids. She goes, All right, we're going to call this braids and fades. I got 5,000 right now that people donated in a span of like that. That is Um, amazing. Which, which all, so with all those years before, I paid out of pocket for haircuts. So now we have kids. uh, And and it's funny because Ken Williams actually, we talked about this, and then I've done some Marzano work, and I, I see where it all aligns. Like, we're trying to get these kids. To come to school and keep everything that they need so they can focus on learning. Yeah. Learning yeah. is required. So, if, 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 cause I, I went to the barbershop, Brian, cause I know, man, if you didn't have a haircut, like you're gonna get clowned on and you, you would have, that was the reality of, of yeah. going. And uh, so we wanted kids to feel better. We, so we created the braids and fades. It's funny, while we're doing a community tour right now. So, we're doing, uh, today we went to, uh, the shop, it's double A hair studio where kids can come and sign up to get their, their hair done. So we were there. Then we went to Mafungo, which is a Puerto Rican uh, restaurant in the city. And then we went to Boys Girl and Girls Club um, and went exactly to Bucky Jones, who was a former great athlete, his brother. Tomorrow, we're going to the barbershop. So if they want to come in, they can sign up. We're going to Dunn's River, yeah. greatest Jamaican place of all time with the greatest food of all time, jerk pork. And then uh, the next place is uh, Parkville Market, which is in. So we're going to all these spots. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're doing all home visits, bringing backpacks, meeting with families, giving hugs. But that, so that's a piece. The other piece, which I think is important, growing up with kids with, uh, we're creating, I met with you, some ladies from UConn, and we're trying to create a support program for kids with family in prison. So, and, and we're talking about how we can do that in a way where we're not. So we're in the discussions. I met with her a couple of weeks ago. The next piece we're doing is if we actually have a grandparent, if you're a grandparent and you're raising your kid and you're raising grandkids like me and my wife are doing, it's a tough deal, but how can we support you? So we call it grandparents United. If I'm a single grandma and I'm raising kids. Um, and then the last thing we did is we created a college leadership program. Uh, I put for black and Hispanic kids. And then they told me, uh, after three years now with the new ways of, so we got the same kids, but we just call it college leadership program. Um, and we get those kids that are going to college that can come whenever they can. But our kids are what ninety percent black and Hispanic, so if they could see kids who are actually going to college in your school as the visual aid, they see me like. But they see uh my son is one of the kids. He comes. We have five or six kids. They come. Two of our kids just left to play pro football in Canada, which is pretty amazing. So just to see these kids and the way our kids react and be around. So those are four of the programs that are kind of equity actions but also things of really pushing the the culture of care out there um i i use social media also to kind of get to the community so they yeah. can see like you may never ever see the people who work in the cab so i, I like i have great respect for them because my my dad grew up uh his dad died in world war ii so he was raised by an uncle in a restaurant an italian restaurant right uh so i want to go in there and find creative ways like Hey, we're back here. What do you got for lunch? And just trying to, and then they see those people, and they yeah. love that stuff, or custodians, or that type of stuff of highlighting uh, all those stuff, and then they see in social media. We had a lady come today. I, I'm coming here to your school because I've seen Facebook of what the school is about. That is uh, awesome. So that's a piece of of the culture of care.
0: You know, um, you know, when you talk, it just gives me chills because it it, it really resonates with me. It's, it's a lot, you know, in, in the way that I. I worked at at my former school or we worked at our former school where we visited homes. We, um, you know, we made sure that that uh, we we had uh, just open communication with parents. Um, And then when we talk about, you know, our custodians or our, our cafeteria workers or office workers, we wanted to make sure that they were seen as the experts in their area. You know, I was we were talking the other day when, you know, I had a question answered Kind of session with this principal and i said you know you if you truly are a professional learning community that means every adult in the buildings you know is 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 a teacher um and and the way we modeled this as a admin team or a principal team is that we would go and ask our custodians to teach us how to run every single piece of equipment because we wanted to make sure that they were seeing as teachers. And they were they 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 well, appreciate awesome. it. they appreciate that. you know, and we were changing you know the t five, which is a buffer. We had to change the pads. we We wanted to know everything about what was happening in our school, but we also wanted to make sure that the people we were asking who tri- traditionally aren't seen as as leaders or as teachers, um their you know support staff, quote support staff. We wanted to make sure that they were elevated and we had we had the power and the influence as the administrators to elevate anybody. And so we wanted to make sure that people saw everybody on this on the same playing field. Um, and I think that's, you know, when you talk about, you know, the the cafeteria workers or what, whoever, um, they are vitally important to the success of our school.
1: Yeah. One, one of the things I put for my anchor statement for culture care is that we care enough about students to take action. On every practice and policy that has an impact on student learning and equity, staff must treat students and others with great respect. And yeah. uh, you know, I think that's important. And then we talk about having conversations on race and equity. But one of the things is, I think, is important. If you don't have a PLC and you're not focused on collaboration, it's hard to have those discussions because you've never had collaborative yeah. discussions. You're working in silos, and you're not. But if you're worked, you know, if you're used to collaborating. I think it's pretty, you can have some of those talks and uh, really we try to guide and take action on how those can can work. Like Ken Williams will read a section of his book and really uh, have discussions on that. But part of his book too is like we we have, we call a learning block process of uh, assess, like a planning, a block of time, assessing, meeting the data teams. He talks about that as an equity driver. So we use that too. Sometimes they think it's something outside of, Student learning, which
0: you know, I, I think when, when, you know, I love Ken's, you know, just straightforward approach, because when we talk about equity, basically what he's saying is, you know, let's let's get rid of the pie in the sky stuff. What is happening in your classroom, in your on your teams that is ensuring that this kid is learning, learning, are you identifying essential skills, essential standards, you know, that's when he talks about, you know, the bar, the bar is the essential standard everybody has to have access to that bar and we need to push them to and through that bar. And so that's equity, right? And so equity is making sure that all kids have access to grade level essential skills. Equity is when you talk about a systematic process of intervening and extending, is it systematic? Uh, it can't be systematic if you're not working in a collaborative culture. So, you know, when you talk about your chapter two, when you say, you know, you know, creating this culture of collaborations and you have three actions, you talk about this idea of, you know, maximizing time, ensuring team success and coaching up teams, that's equity because we need to make sure that those things are in place for us to have this culture of collaboration because if not, then we're working in isolation and we can't meet all kids' needs if we're working in isolation.
1: Yes. Yeah, that was beautiful.
0: You know, and so I think that's that's really, I mean, you're, you're, and you, your book just lays it out. You know, in chapter three, you talk about, you know, creating this culture of learning and using systematic and results-driven, you know, process called learning blocks. And you said that. Um, I think that is is the way you all use your learning blocks um, because what you say is, you know, and I think we've talked about this you know, for 20 some years for the PLC at work process and Rick and Becky DeFore, the late Rick and Becky DeFore, and Bob Aker um, talked about this. How do we create the culture where we are not dependent on tons of money? Because how do we create the culture of learning within our school within the contracted duty day? And that's what you do um, in, in you in your learning blocks and your 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 you know, focus on high quality instruction.
1: Yeah, so one of the, a couple of things. One, when I was a uh, – so I'm 22 years old, a graduate assistant. Graduate assistants in college football are the lowest of the low. So, yeah. so hey, one quick side story, uh, Brian. So I'm a 22-year-old, and we're going for the number one recruit in the country, dual-threat quarterback, a guy by the name of Donovan McNabb. Oh. So, I'm, so I'm in this <laughs> meeting, and he's coming in, and the head coach says, and Bo Ryan, you're going to pick him up from the airport that pressure on me <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> what,
0: cool what, of that stuff?
1: they will never let me back in. lucky he was like one of the greatest human beings i've ever met i met him and oh, man what a leader what a uh what a person but the things i learned from coaching uh was it, it was the learning process so we were one of the years i think we we're eight and two we won the big east championship back in 90 uh and next year but the virginia was running a style of defense with the barber brothers Tiki yes, were yes yep, yep. And they were running a and 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 they're like we're gonna bring them up and yeah. I am think myself what' number nine in the country and, and I'm and coach Pascalone explained that we got to keep getting better right we have to, yeah. uh so that's what the the results driven culture actually came when I was a PE teacher because at PE teacher you had no uh and I didn't know anything about plcs I I had no uh instructional practice I had no direction though so i just started looking up like the fall we're going to do all these different things we're going to read about sports we're right. going to write about sports and then we're going to do different things but everyone will be active and engage everything will and then we'll have in the middle we'll have a performance task the end we did something called sport education where they will try every role in sports it was wild we had baseball like we we played an actual game we right. had people at the concession stand we had reporters and awesome. coaches we had so we taught all that you so
0: I know, started... everything about the business actually of baseball. Wow. that is amazing. All
1: that stuff, but it was blocks of time, and it was ways of looking at not only like uh, so. Then when uh, when we took over the school, we created a brand new school. We get kids, most of our kids from the city, and then we're supposed to get kids from the surrounding towns, but we get most of them from other cities. So we get it's an interesting uh, uh, thing. It's those interesting dynamics. So the first test we ever gave, it was a a crack. uh, Our district's common assessment, it was good. Everyone failed. Like it wasn't even close. So the next district assessment was going to be in December. So we met and we had all young teachers. We had to make two decisions. We made one decision and we created a block of time for more reading for everyone. We're going to say, everyone's going to read. I'll create the lessons. We're going to everyone. No one's close to getting it. It will create more reading for everyone. And then we're going to give a mid-assessment. And see where kids are and make adjustments sure. uh, be, before the last one. So we started figuring that stuff out. Like when I was a principal in the Cromwell, which is uh, uh, somewhat suburban, it was K through uh, it was three through five. We right. could go a little longer, but these kids all failed. Like it wasn't anyone close, so we needed to check them sure. more more prob- Then I started getting into uh, like the learning block process of right. uh, really looking at blocks of time. So you could be ELA, I could be math. But it don't matter. Like we're gonna look at blocks of time. It don't matter what the curriculum is. We're gonna give a pre-assessment, see where we are, but it also lays out what the collaborative team is doing. So anytime we gave an assessment, we always talked about a flex time to make sure those kids immediately were reviewed, immediately time and support. And then yeah. we also had college prep where all the teachers place kids based on need in different classes, which Brian, we had to change, and I could get that in a little while, based on staff shortages. And our teachers do an amazing job, but the results-driven culture, the learning block, is really not allowing kids to fail. It's and it also aligns to in the last chapter I talked about that as great PD because the yeah. old PD standards are aligned to exactly that. And, and the new ones too of just cycles of of coaching and instruction. So that, that was a big piece in that, not letting kids fail, making sure teams work together. The other piece that helped us with is they would break down the standards into proficiency scales. And then we post those in rooms and then everyone has the same stuff. And then you talk about in the book, I talk about, then you got teacher clarity, feedback, uh, student assessment, and all those things going on, formative assessment in all the classrooms.
0: Yeah. Everything so, that's, that's needed um, to ensure that that phrase all means all. Yes. You know, on, um, Bob Baker and I wrote a blog a couple of years ago and it it was entitled something like on this teacher team all has to be all or nobody wins and so we wrote this blog and we started to talk about this teacher team and all the things that that teacher team did and how they shared you know practices how they videotaped lessons and came to the you know team meeting and share and and looked at the videotape together and 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 how they gave feedback and how, you know, everybody was transparent. And through halfway through the, um, the blog, you realize that we weren't talking about a teacher team. We were talking about a basketball team and a basketball um, team of coaches, assistant coaches and head coaches and how they work together. And when you talk about sports and you talk about coaching, you know, I think that, that our, our experience in sports and coaching truly gives us a leg up because it truly is the example of a, the PLC at work process in action think about you know our practice you're constantly giving feedback okay. you're flexibly grouping you know students or or players some players may need a little additional time and support in an area so they get small group um instruction and so you know being on a team and being a coach is just um, just the the epitome of the PLC at work process.
1: Yeah, Brian, you know it's crazy. When I was at Syracuse, um, Ed Ogeron was one of my mentors. Now Ed Ogeron went on to lead LSU to the national championship as their head coach, and I learned and it was interesting in the interview. First of all, he was one of the greatest on field coaches I've ever seen in the history. Like uh, so, anyway, they're interviewing him, and they let me go in as the you know grad assistant. I'm like. All right. Or I snuck in one of those. But anyway, I'm watching him and then they ask him and they say, how long, how hard are you going to work? Because in coaching back in when I was coaching, it it was always like you had to work until two o'clock. You had to work till one in the morning. So he says, and I never, this was amazing. He goes, I'm going to work to 10 o'clock and then I'm going home because the most important part of our day is when we're with those kids and we're practicing. And he said, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not engaged and and excited and enthusiastic it's not going to matter all this stuff that we're doing so he just I mean he was talking about self-care back then and and, and getting all that stuff done but I agree with what you're saying Uh, I grew up in a coaching household and uh, you know it's constantly looking just to get better like it's constantly looking like how can we get better what else can we do how else can we uh, uh, you know improve what we have
0: and how can we improve our people and yeah. Yeah. When I when I you know learned about the PLC at work process, a light bulb came on. And I'm like, this is just like me being on my team or being or coaching. It's it it really is very similar. Yeah. Hey, um, at the end of your book, um you talk about, or at, not the end of your book, throughout your book, but um in your description of your chapters, you talk about this vignette where you kind of follow Mr. Lewis, who faces different challenges. Um, common to urban like schools and school districts I and mean, I love that vignette because it really paints a picture of the challenges but also it paints a picture of how do we attack those challenges
1: yes you know it's, it's uh it's interesting um so I was able to work with a school in Kentucky and uh it was in urban school and go down there a little different urban area different down there than like right. our, ours is really packed. You know, they're, they they did not even have a corner store. I'm like, come on, man. Y'all. Like, I, said, Can I, go? I was ready to leave the building. I said, I'm going to go across the street. To the corner store. They're like, we don't have those down here. I'm like, really? So anyway, one of the things, and this is where the, the title, the brilliance of the building, I go and I watch these two ladies teach math. And I'm like, those two ladies are in the school that maybe the the state is getting some plan for, man, and they asked me like your suggestions. I said, get people to watch those two are probably two of the greatest teachers I've ever seen. And they had 25, because this was an all boys school. This was 600 all black and Hispanic boys. And these kids were locked in uh, two two different teachers. Um, So it's possible, A, but two, those two, they were doing really good in that subject but how can we get everyone else to kind yeah. of do that stuff but they also had a lot to learn like they also could have had their standards posted had sure. kids self grade that stuff but man the, so that was the title of like the book, really there's so many like of these holes and you probably seen where you just see fantastic teaching going yeah. on and trying to get every kind of people every person in the the school to kind of do the same so you don't have just one teacher of the year you have a school of teacher of the year so yeah, yeah.
0: I think um you know, I, I love that, that story. And I, I, I think, you know, when we start to think about our profession and our the educators in our building, if you add up all the years of experience, knowledge, skills, wisdom that it's in the building, there should be nothing that we can't accomplish if we put it together and we share with each other. Like you said, you know, if, I, if I'm working hard and somebody else is working hard and they're acquiring skills, but we never talk. I only have the benefit of my skills. I don't have the benefit of 20 other people or 50 other people in my school. Um, and think about how much I'm missing out. And yeah. I two, love that two, title. Two quick stories. Yeah,
1: two quick stories I have for you. Um, one is, uh, so we had a, a, a leadership team and we had uh, people from each grade, uh, right. special ed. We had So we had that team. The challenge with that team is, they, they so in the district, they get stipends. So those people with stipends kind of have the same position. They you know right. what I mean? They kind right. of um but the, the problem is our staff is, is 60% black and Hispanic. So some of those people weren't represented on this team, but yeah. the, the team leaders were. So we created we have that team and we call them the instructional team. Right. And really, and then we once we started getting our school just became our HRS school. So we also with PLC, but anyway, we said that team will will run hrs number two ensure effective instruction in every class so then we created a, what we call the guided coalition which became a person from every single aspect of the school a para someone from the office yeah. one teacher someone from the union so on. so we have now this group someone from the family engagement where you have everyone and uh so it's a little different than where we're working on so we have them really focus on hr level one culture which is same as PLC and that type of stuff so we really looked at that that was a really big piece we did in and to be able to sit with two teams you don't have to spend a lot that's the other thing I try to get by in the book is you don't have to spend a ton of time and I learned that in coaching we're gonna yeah. have this question this is what we're trying to solve guys what do you think well we mm-hmm. think okay, okay great but what, what do you think and so we try to do a lot of that the second big thing to show you the power of PLCs is we were struggling Right now, there's no subs in Connecticut. Like, unless you're like in the nice schools and uh, those schools that are, uh, I think it's that's yeah, I think it's all
0: around the country. I think it's just hard to find subs now.
1: Yeah. So there's no subs, but we have a position called an associate instructor, which are kids with degrees that we bring in as support. So we work with them on teaching. But what the problem came that we had like uh, during this college prep block, people were going. And then if teachers were absent, those kids would go back to class and basically have a sub for the class and then a sub for that college prep block. So we're really trying to figure out because there was no bodies. So what we did was uh, my assistant principal and dean met with the the teachers and they said, for now on, college prep, everyone's going back to where they need to go. So if the kids are ELA, unless they're SPED, MLL, or where they have to go for those, um, everyone else will go back. to They'll go to ELA if they need ELA. And if the intervention is there, they'll go into class. If not, you will be the intervention. So it became where we use every single body and gave our kids the best chance and teachers all did it. You know, sometimes there's a question, well, what about the union? Well, we're not violating a contract at right. all. Well, everyone was on board, but it was a way of, I think, and we're actually next year having it just one block right. because of the stash so it's the same instead of 30 minutes here, 30 it's going to be one block. And it's funny because Dr. Kramer's new book says that have one block. Right. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to do that, but it's a way of teams, like you said, collaborating and working together to solve a problem. And right now this is a problem. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, you know, we, uh, so we're able to to, to make yeah. sure that we're able to give everyone more time and support um, and also, you know, get the good tier one instruction. It's funny when I interviewed for the RTI uh position um mike mato said listen the stuff we're doing is that for like that school that has you're doing it in a school that doesn't have any and you're you're figuring out a way to do it yeah. a quick story about that guy um uh, man so i go work in kentucky and they say you can go to the kentucky uh, rti mike mato's will be there so right. i'm coming around it's a true story i haven't seen him in a year and uh i walk around the corner he walks he sees me he goes nuts grabs me says hey are you coming in i'm like yeah this is the guy who's leading our organization man um and he says go in there and he goes i know someone he goes don't worry about nothing go in there and the, now it's packed this place right. is mobbed, and i see bill fair i'm like i'm like a kid like you know i'm like all fired <laughs> up he introduces me in front of all the the 700 he says we got bo ryan back i'm like this guy man he, he's he's unbelievable
0: you know bo i i think um you
1: got
0: me all fired up, Brian. I love it. It's <laughs> awesome, and I I think you're gonna realize that, and you will. Um, we, all of us, Mike, Anthony, Luis, Sharon Kramer, Bill Ferretter, you, we're practitioners. That's what we we didn't start off, you know, being on stage, right? And so we're that's where we are. You know, some of us, you know, Mike and Anthony have become huge stars. Can Um, But they don't, the the thing about them is, you know, they, they don't read their press clippings because they know who they are. It's not about, you know, being popular or being famous or whatever. It's about making sure that we continue to, you know, support the legacy of Rick and Becky DeFore and Bob Aker, who is still with us. Um, and do the right things on behalf of kids, and, and that's why we got into this profession, and that's where your passion comes from. Your passion doesn't come from Mike Mattos or or Anthony Muhammad or or, or Sharon Kramer or me. Your passion comes from your life experience, and it just exudes through this this screen because of that's who you are, and that's why you are so good at what you do, and that's why you wrote a book because it, your story, um, you know, in terms of urban schools hasn't been told through the plc at work process ever and you wrote the first book through you know that process
1: oh thank you so you're making my day you're not gonna make me cry brian
0: <laughs> um but the one thing i could
1: tell you we i had a great meeting with a couple of folks from solution tree uh because another thing when i went out to that thing it, it, there wasn't a lot of uh it was a lot of white folks like and, and i wanted to how right. can we expand um so i talked to in a challenge of urban school like man, like I'm, I'm kind of like boring. So like, I wrote this, like I'm able to put this stuff, but during the day, like you can't, some, a lot of urban schools, you can't get out of the building. And then say if Ryan Butler's in charge of his urban school in Hartford, Connecticut, and you go to that PD, then when are you going to, how are you going to train others? How are you going to get that? You know what I mean? It's, it's not as easy. So the book, and it's funny, Uh, <laughs> um, Ms. Watley, man, she is, uh, she reminds me of my mom and, and, and which is the biggest compliment. So I wrote this other book and it was, and, and she's like, and I wrote the whole book and sent it to her. So I meet with her and she's like, you want me to be nice to you? Or you want me to hit you straight? I said, hit me straight. She Goes, this is, ain't working. And I'm like, all right, great. And she goes, I want you to write something about urban schools, but I want you to make it the way I see. Like you wrote something once about the documents that I post on Twitter that we're creating. Yeah. um and she was like i want that stuff and she said because and solution tree may not like it because they can go in and um you know but she said do that and make sure the focus is on the solutions and man she was she was fantastic so part the reason for this book is um i want to help these folks that they can and that's all it is like sure. i'm actually and here's fun am any money i get from the book i'm spending on kids in my school so i get the money we're buying uh like, it's not like we get a ton, but that money's being spent on kids in my school for raffles in the calf. But this stuff, like I wanted them to be able to see, you know, the templates are all done and what it looks like with the learning block. So I met with Solution Tree and I said, can we have a night class? Say if we had five hours or say we had four of them that aligned to one visit and we did it. So they're investigating that now. So wow. urban principal can come sure. or urban leader can come at six to seven we can go through a chapter, and I could walk them through it, and then we could come back. Imagine if you had someone from St. Louis, someone from Hartford, yeah. Connecticut, someone, and then we formed a collaborative team.
0: Yeah, think about we, the sharing that you're going to. Yeah,
1: all the sharing, uh, the, the, the collective evidence. How are they doing it? Because every it, it, when I was at Cromwell, it was a little different. Like we were able. It, when I'm in school now, like you, it may be different than your school, but to put some of these stuff together. And, and you're getting and you're learning from everyone, so it would be our PLC. But you'd be able, I'd be able to go through the book and walk them through it. Sure and enough. I had a plan and I sent it to him. So she's checking on that. And uh, you know that's something I I want to help folks. That's what I yeah. want to do. Well, uh,
0: it, it it comes through loud and clear, Bo. It comes through loud and clear. Hey, we're gonna have to wrap it up. We're gonna have to have you back. Um, for I'm gonna minutes. hold you to that. I
1: know I know you're only saying that because Dr. Muhammad's not available, but yeah. I, I'll, I'll come back. <laughs>
0: Dr. Muhammad's already been on the show, so I know I saw that. I told yeah, my wife, I said, "Look, awesome.
1: at, he's on the show and I'm on it."
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you know this is this has been great, but I I, I would like to follow up and have you back um you know, at some point because I got to show you one thing, Mr. Muhammad. you will have Mr. a wait. lot to tell. Go ahead. Creating the new American school,
1: cool. Dr. DeFore. This is the first book ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Quite a quite a legacy he is he is uh he left. Um and it it will live on forever. So friend, I I appreciate it. At the end of every one of my shows, I use this um old African proverb um that I used when my dad passed away three years ago. And it goes, As I go, I am wearing you. And all that means is that all the people who have you know, I've met along the way and I've taken something from positively or negatively, sometimes negatively, I, I turned it into something positive, but the people who have been really positive and who have influenced me and who I, I've learned from, I wear them, um, and I, I wear hundreds of people, um, now and today after this conversation, I'm wearing Bo Ryan. Awesome. I, I, I truly appreciate you coming on and, you know, sharing your story. Writing this book, um, it really is going to be something that changes the trajectory of not just one or two kids' lives, but hundreds of you know lives and generations. So thank you, friend.
1: You made my day. Can I get a picture of you?
0: Oh yeah, (laughs) please do. We're we're gonna we will have this uh, on sometime this week on my YouTube channel and on Spotify, so everybody can you know soak in the wisdom of Bo Ryan and uh truly uh make their lives and the lives of their students a little better thank so you th- good luck with your next book i can't wait to read that one yeah it's coming out soon august uh not august uh, october 15th if all still goes well so i appreciate it um have a great start to the school year and uh we'll talk to you very soon thank you sir you do a great job with this stuff i appreciate you thank you bo thank you. you all right bye bye subscribe to a conversation with brian on my youtube channel and spotify